We are finishing up Zechariah chapter 1, and we'll move on through chapter 2. Chapter 2 is pretty much all the same vision. Uh, in fact, they, they kind of just go, all these kind of go back to back. There doesn't seem to be any real break in between them. But last week we were looking at the vision of the horses. And in the vision of the horses, this is not a reenactment. He is actually taken back to what happens around the time of the end of the 70 years. And something I believe I forgot to mention last week, that this is also not something that though it occurred on earth, it was probably not visible to the people that were nearby. It is very possible that Zechariah was taken into a different dimension or a different realm, spiritual realm, in order to see what was going on, that if there were people, they did not see that. And if you'll notice from the uh, narrative, as he writes it down, he does not notice any other people except for the people in the vision. So that would lead me to think that he's either in another dimension or another realm. If we can imagine different dimensions, then I'm sure God has something even greater than that than we can imagine that actually goes on. But God was angry with the nations because they were all at peace while Jerusalem was laying in ruins. He didn't like that. He expected that they should understand that he would want his people in their land and they should not just be resting at peace. And if he was expecting the nations and the peoples that did not follow him to push for things that he wanted, I wonder what does he think about people today that are not on his side but are pushing for things that are against his will. The people who push for things like abortion or the gender, gender confusion that's going on or the forcing people to make cakes or do things that are against their beliefs or defending the guilty over the innocent. Justice for this group, but not this group over here. Uh, I'm pretty sure he is upset with that as well. Even though they don't follow him, he still expects that they can know certain things about his will. And then, of course, there are those who say they are on the Lord's side, but they don't stand with the word. I think of what, what of them. What does God look down upon those people that say, we're on the Lord's side, we serve God? And they are not standing on the things that God's word clearly says are his will. So if God expected the heathen to understand what he wanted for Israel, what's he expecting of us today? When I think about this, I also think about the nations that were around at the end of World War II. And there were different nations that took up the cause of Israel. And if you remember, we've gone over this before. Uh, the Soviet Union was actually one who took it up first. And then Britain took it up and then we took it up to make sure that they came into to being a nation and, and was, was on their side. So those were some, some nations that took up the side of Israel, that God wanted them back into the land, and they did so. Tonight, though, we're going to be taking a look at something different, and we're going to see that God sends his people out there to do some measuring. So I ask this question, why does God measure things? So looking at scripture, I came up with there are two purposes for which God would send people out to measure. And I thought about our lives. Do we have a similar practice of measuring spiritual things? And I saw some very glaring differences in our purposes. So we'll be looking at this in our study here tonight. Let's take a look at Zechariah 1 verse 18. Then I raised my eyes and looked 
and there were four horns. And I said to the angel who talked with me, What are these? So he answered me, These are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen. And I said, What are these coming to do? So he said, These are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them to cast out the horns of the nations that lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. Now, horns represent strength and power. A couple of verses I'll give you for this. Psalm 75, 4 and 5. I said to the boastful, Do not deal boastfully, and to the wicked do not lift up the horn. Do not lift up your horn on high. Do not speak with a stiff neck. In Daniel chapter 8, verse 3, Then I lifted my eyes, and I saw, and there standing beside the river was a ram, which had two horns, and the two horns were high, but one was higher than the other, and the higher one came up last. There are other places that talk about horns and and rulership. We have the ten horns that uh, come up in Daniel as well. And then the little horn and uh, other places that we can go to as as well. But the horns represent symbols. They represent power. They represent rulership. There are four of them. Now the four of these horns, they could represent four particular nations or kings. Could be that they represent four particular nations or four particular kings. Now, some people want to take a look at Babylon, Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome. But two of these are future. And he's not speaking in a future tense. He's not saying anything that is to come. He said, these are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. So the scattering has already been done. So I don't think you can include... uh, Greece and Rome. I really don't even think he can include Medo-Persia because Medo-Persia did nothing for scattering them. They did something for putting them back in the land, but Medo-Persia did not scatter Israel. The only one out of that group would be Babylon. Um, my thoughts, if I, if I was going to think of four, I would think of Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, and, and then you still have to get into Medo-Persia. But Egypt really didn't scatter them. They were in the land and they kind of kept them sheltered in the land, and then when they were asked to let them go, they didn't want to do it. Uh, Assyria scattered the northern tribes, and Babylon scattered the southern tribes, so out of that group of four there, you really only have two that did any scattering. So I really can't find four kings or four kingdoms that work here. Even if you take two kings from Babylon, and uh, there's really only one from Assyria that I, I think we can pull uh, I still think we have a hard time going with it that way. So there's another way that you can go with this. And four, is the, this is the second way, four as in complete. Four in the Word of God represent complete, represents the concept of completion. You have four seasons. You have four directions, north, south, east, and west. You have the four living creatures. You have the four Gospels. Even in Ezekiel chapter 1 and 10, when we see the four living creatures being described, They are transporting a throne with four sides and four wheels. And each of the four living creatures has four faces. The face of a man, lion, ox, and eagle. And, and of course, the four wings that they have. So you see the number four there. The four seems to uh, represent completeness here. It would seem to fit better that what he is using as the four horns is the completeness of those who came against Israel and scattered them. Then we really don't have to try and find four nations because I think we are hard-pressed to find four nations 
that scatter them that are in the past tense at this point. Now, Rome certainly did scatter them. And that would come up later on, but they would not be in the past tense as this is, is written. So then after we get the horns, we get the craftsmen. So there, verse 19, there are the horns that have scattered Judah, Israel, and Jerusalem. Then the Lord showed me four craftsmen, and I said, what are these coming to do? So he said, these are the horns that scattered Judah so that no one could lift up his head. But the craftsmen are coming to terrify them, to cast out the horns of the nations and lift lifted up their horn against the land of Judah to scatter it. If you take the interpretation that the four are representing four nations or four kings, then you're going to have a problem with the craftsmen because the craftsmen then become a horn. Because the craftsmen, the, the one, the, the craftsmen that came against Babylon, if we look at it this, if we interpret it this way, the craftsmen that came against Babylon would have been Medo-Persia. Well, if Medo-Persia is also a horn, how can they also be a craftsman? And Assyria took out the northern tribes, and Babylon could be seen as the one who took them out. So then they would be a craftsman against Assyria, but then they would become a horn. It just doesn't seem to make any sense. So I really don't like that that way of looking at things because it presents a problem for the craftsmen, for the four craftsmen would have to then be, each would have to be a horn also. And I don't see that they can be a horn and a craftsman. Because then the, whatever the successive kingdom in is becoming the craftsman of the previous one. And that would be very inconsistent with, with what's going on here. But if we take the second option, the craftsman can be whatever and whoever God sends judgment upon them by. No matter whether they are, uh, who they were, whether they were a nation, whether they were a king, whatever they, they were, then uh, God sent something along with them. And whatever he rose up to, to do, even if it was a spiritual force, was enough to take care of them. Now, remembering the time and the purpose of these visions helps us to keep the meaning of it under, in understanding. The purpose of his visions was to encourage Israel to get back to building the temple and to be encouraged about their purpose for being there in the land of Israel, that to rebuild Jerusalem and that God was going to be making it great again. So that's his purpose for coming. We always got to keep that in mind. Now, Zechariah has a little different perspective than Haggai in that he is going to not only encourage them to get this done, that they can do it and that good things are going to come from this. He begins to point to the future. And he shows them how great this is going to be in the future and uses that as a, as a reason to get going with it now. Right now you can see the problems. Israel can see the problems. They can see the opposition. That is the most visible thing to them. Just like with us. Whenever we have been called by God or encouraged by God or uh, God has told us move in this area and do this particular thing, whatever it might be, problems come up. We've, we find discouragement. We find opposition by the things that are visible by the things that, that talk to us. If we're believing God for a healing, we have doctors that come. We have test results that come. We have things that come this way and they discourage us. They, they can be in opposition to what we are looking to to see. So, Israel is facing the same thing and so we can put ourselves in their, in their position. We're looking to build something for the future, but we're having a problem with the present. 
We see problems, opposition, things that are visible. And that would be the uh, the horns. The horns that come out in this vision, this is the visible thing. This is what Israel could see. I can see Babylon. I can see uh, whatever nation rose themselves up against us. So I can see whatever forces came. But I can't see the craftsmen. I don't know what the forces are that God is using to wear them down, to bring them down to a, uh, uh, so that they are not a force against me anymore. I can see the visible, but I can't always see the, in, the invisible spiritual forces. When we are facing things like this, keep in mind, I can see the visible. The horns, the things that come against me are very visible, but the craftsmen that God has sent, they're not quite as visible for me. But God sends against our enemies. He, he uh, sends the craftsmen. And what he sends is more than enough to eliminate them. When we look at this, we see that there are four horns <clears throat> and there are four craftsmen. And we may look at this, well, why does God only send basically one craftsman for each? But I, if it's a vision of being complete, that's really all we need to see. There's a complete force that's against us. There's a complete force against God. But even still, one-on-one, my thought is, if you were to think of the air battle, uh, World War II was just fantastic, and if you study it, and some of the air battles that would go on, and some of the advances that were being done in planes, and uh, the, when the jet engines came out, I was thinking about this, if you took, say, a, a biplane, you know, they started using biplanes when they first started the, doing the, the air battles, and you took a modern-day F-22, and put it up against the biplane. Well, you wouldn't need a whole squadron of F-22s to take out a biplane. In fact, you could take out a whole squadron of biplanes with one F-22. And those biplanes wouldn't stand a chance. They'd be shooting them down from before they could even see them. And uh, flying on by them, they couldn't even get a lock on them. The forces that God has against the forces that are against us are so much greater. He does not have to match or, or outmatch doesn't have to overwhelm them with numbers because God's forces are that much better. So I don't get hung up in the numbers, but again, I think the four is looking more at completeness. And he wants to tell them, things have come against you. Remember, this is, a, this is the purpose for this vision. We're trying to encourage them to come along. The horns have come against you. They have scattered you. They have taken you and, and taken you captive. They've dispersed you around the, the nations because the northern tribes were dispersed around the nations. Southern tribes were taken over to Babylon. This is what these horns have done. But God has sent the forces against these to wear them down and to nullify them and make them nothing. So you may not see those forces. You may see these. But don't become so enthroned, enthralled with these that you forget what God is doing. So that's what he's trying to do in his vision to encourage them. You're not, you may not see all the things that are going on, but God is telling you right now, He has sent craftsmen to tear these forces down that are coming against you. Because these particular people are not facing anything from Babylon. They are not facing anything from Assyria. They are facing things from the people, the neighboring tribes that are around them, that inhabit the land. And they could certainly be part of the four horns. That, because they're a force that comes against them. And they're trying to disperse them, get them out of there to stop the work. And God's saying, I'm against them too. And just as we took down Babylon, just as we took down Assyria, we will take these guys down as well. 
He goes on to verse, uh, chapter 2, verse 1. Then I raised my eyes and looked, and behold, a man with a measuring line in his hand. And so I said, where are you going? And he said to me, to measure Jerusalem, to see what is its width and what is its length. And there was the angel who talked with me going out, and another angel was coming out to meet him, who said to him, Run, speak to this young man, saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. For I, I, says the Lord, will be a wall of fire all around her, and I will be the glory in her midst. Now what we're looking at here, Israel has come into the Jerusalem, but not that many have come. And so what you have is a few people to take care of this big city. Now, it's not a big city to us. We see much bigger cities than Jerusalem was, but it was a big city for them. And this city was built when Israel was in its prime. And it, this city handled as the capital of uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem was the capital it handled the nation when it was the most powerful. And now it is a very weak nation. And this city can see very imposing. How are we supposed to inhabit this city and make it powerful? We are so few. We are so weak by comparison to the things that are against us and the things that are around us. And so he's saying, first off, we're sending out somebody to measure. We're going to measure the city. Uh, See how big it is and so forth. Uh, because right now, they seem overwhelmed by all this. I, I think of that, that uh, scene, that basketball scene when they were this team that had never gone to the championship. I cannot think of the name of it now. But um, it wasn't Coach Carter. It was the other one with, uh, uh, it was another one. I can't think of its name. But he had t- took them out in the court because the court seemed to overwhelm them because they saw the bigness of it. And he let them know that this court, everything's the same size of where you were. It's just as wide. It's just as long. The basket's just as high. The net's just as big. There's nothing different from the court that you were on. And he got the bigness of the court down to where they could see, wow, uh, it's not bigger than we are. And that helped them to uh, go on into, I believe they won the, the championship in that one. So we have this guy. He's going down here to measure. We're going to check this thing out. But then before he even gets finished measuring, there was an angel who talked with me going out and another angel was coming out to meet him. And he said, run, speak to this young man saying, Jerusalem shall be inhabited as towns without walls because of the multitude of men and livestock in it. So you're looking at the smallness of what you got here right now. But I'm telling you, it's going to, it's going to get a whole lot bigger. Things are really going to be grown here. Now, this is, uh, they've been over here in the land for about 20 years. And they have not gotten a whole lot bigger than this city is. But he's telling them, I see a day. A day is coming when the men and the livestock of this city are going to overwhelm the walls. They're going to overwhelm the size of this city. In fact, you're going to have to become bigger than the city. And the walls of the city will not be there to protect you. Because you're too big. So I will be a wall to you. He's giving them a vision of this in the future. Now often in the word. We see that when someone was sent out to measure. That there are two things. 
that they measure for. First one is shortcomings. The second is upcoming expansion. Two things that they are sent to measure. One is shortcomings, and the other is in the upcoming expansion. In Ezekiel chapter 40, we have the measuring of the temple, even though the temple's not there. And we spent some time, and we were in the, the series in Ezekiel on that. But he came out to measure the temple. Even at the time, there was no, no measurement of the temple there. Revelation, there's a measuring that goes on, I believe it's chapter 11, and that exposes shortcomings. Daniel, when he has the vision and the handwriting on the wall, he says, you have been measured and weighed and found wanting. Well, we measured you because you're coming up short. So that these seem to be the two main things. You can go through the word and you can find other ones too, but these are the uh, easiest ones to, to see. I'm going to measure because we're planning an expansion. I'm going to measure because you're supposed to be here and you're not. You're coming up short. These are the two th- reasons that God seems to be measuring. Here, the measurement is for expansion. We're expanding you. I, I know your limitations are here. That seems big to you, but I'm telling you, you need something bigger than this. This is not going to be enough for you. What the Lord sees coming is going to go beyond the visible walls. They're used to protection that comes from walls that they can see. We are not. We are not used to that mentality of thinking that our protection comes from the walls. So the taller the walls and the thicker the walls, the more we feel protected. That's not how warfare goes anymore. But that's how it was for them. And so they cannot envision any kind of city, any kind of protection without walls. You need to have some walls to keep the armies out that want to try and come and invade. But God says the protection that is coming is going to come without walls. It's going to become because I put fire around you. And I will be a wall of fire. And you'll basically have to trust me. Because they won't see that wall of fire. They're going to have to believe that it's there. They will be going from what you can see and feel protected by to what you cannot see and you need faith to see it. That's a big step. There's a whole lot... A lot of times, Christians, we haven't gotten past that point of getting beyond what we can see. I still walk around, well, I feel like, I believe in divine health, but I also believe in divine health through eating right and taking the right medications or getting to the doctor on a regular basis. You know, we, we like what we can see. We don't like what we can't see. I don't want to depend on things that I can't see. That's a, that's a stepping over into some other areas. Uh, if I go up into a healing line and I get prayed for, what's the, what's the one thing most people are looking for? I want to feel it. I want to feel something hit me. I want to feel the power of God come on me. In fact, some people are so much on to that that when they get hands laid on, they feel like they have to go down. They have to fall down that, because that's the Spirit of God coming upon me. And uh, no, not necessarily. But they feel these things. We have to get to the place where we go beyond what we feel, beyond what we see, into believing what God said. And here in this vision, this is what he's telling them. You can only see what you have. You can only see the size of the people and the livestock. You can see the size of the city. And that's what you feel your limitations are. But I'm telling you, you will expand this. You will go beyond this. And you will need to depend on something greater. You listen to people like Jesse and um, uh, I'm trying to think of some other names right now. They're not coming to me. 
And they talk about how much it costs them to operate the ministry on a daily basis. And uh, it's way beyond them. They cannot go out there and earn the money that is needed to keep that ministry going on a, on a daily basis. But they didn't get there overnight. They got to a place where they depend on God to come through. But just, Jesse's the funniest with it. You know, he'll always come up and say, Jesus, you got mail. <laughs> and when the bills come in, it's not mine, it's, it's, it's his. He's got to pay it. And we go on to verse 6. Up, up, flee from the land of the north, says the Lord, for I have spread you abroad like the four winds of heaven. There we got that four again. Says the Lord. Up, Zion, escape you who dwell with the daughter of Babylon. For thus says the Lord of hosts, he sent me after glory to the nations which plunder you. For he who touches you touches the apple of his eye. For surely I will shake my hand against them and they shall become spoil for their servants. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me. Sing and rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day, and they shall become my people. And I will dwell in your midst, and then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you, and the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land, and will again choose Jerusalem. Be silent, all flesh, before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. So instead of the call for the people to go to Judah, it's flee from Babylon. What he's saying to him is this, I gave you a call to go out to Jerusalem. Not all of you answered it. Some of you didn't want to give up what you had. You liked what you could see. And you didn't want to go to what you can't see. And so you stayed with where you're at. But I'm telling you this, I am coming for the people who scattered Israel. And you are in one of those cities. So, get out. I'm telling you, get out of the city of Babylon. Get out of the place there. Because I'm coming. I am coming. And punishment is on its way. So you want to get out of there and you want to get to where God has chosen. I've chosen Jerusalem. I'm going to be operating through Jerusalem again. That's where you're going to want to be. So before they didn't obey because God said so, now they have to obey because God is saying, get out because I'm coming against them. Kind of like, you know, over there in Sodom and Gomorrah. Flee, get out of here. And uh, they had to, you know, basically force them to get on out. That's where some of these folks with Israel are. Got a comfortable life here in Babylon. I got a shop. Um, I got a business. Got a house. Got a, kind of like where I'm living at right now. Things are pretty smooth. Um, don't really want to go. And he says, you need to get up and you need to get out. It's time. The Lord is coming against those who harmed the apple of his eye. And you don't want to be there. You want to get out of this place. You want to move over here to Jerusalem because now it's a safety thing. The New Living Translation reads these verses this way. The Lord says, Come away, flee from Babylon in the land of the north, for I have scattered you to the four winds. Come away, people of Zion, you who are exiled in Babylon. After a period of glory, the Lord of heaven's armies sent me against the nations who plundered you. For he said, Anyone who harms you harms my most precious possession. I will raise my fist to crush them, and their own slaves will plunder them. 
Then you will know that the Lord of Heaven's armies has sent me. Just as Israel was his most precious possession in the Old Testament, the church is in the New Testament. The Lord says, Shout and rejoice, O beautiful Jerusalem, for I am coming to live among you. Many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day, and they too will be my people. I will live among you, and you will know that the Lord of heaven's armies sent me to you. So he's saying that many nations, they're going to hear this call, and they're going to say, I haven't served God, but I'm hearing God say this. I've seen the thing that God has done, and God has brought his people back to the land of Jerusalem again. And they're going to hear that call, and they're going to go. Now, when we, th- we think about this, Scripture did not write, did not intend to write the entirety of what God spoke. It intends to record what God wants us to know about what happened before. But from what we do know and what was written down, we know that Jonah was sent to the people of Nineveh as a prophet, and Nineveh repented. I think the whole reason that we have the book of Jonah is because of Nineveh's response to Jonah. Because they responded so well, and maybe God just wanted to put that in there. Now look how the heathen nations responded. Look how my people responded when I sent them the same kind of a word. And we have that contrast. But if God sent a prophet to Nineveh, would it not also be in line for God to have sent a prophet to the other nations? And to let them know? And for them to speak? Hey, get on God's side. Hey, this is what God wants to do. And so there could be other prophets who were raised up that just are not recorded in the Bible. And they took a word to some of these cities. And some of these people that are mentioned here, they heard the prophet and they say, you know what? I'm going to listen to that prophet because I think that is a word from God. I think that is something that we can benefit from listening to. So we're going to uproot wherever it is that they were at. They may not have been in Babylon. They may have been in another place. And they just decided, you know what, I'm going to listen to the prophet and I'm going to head over to Jerusalem and I'm going to live there. I'm going to make God my God. Jehovah will be the one that we serve. And so the Lord says, many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day. Now for many nations to do it, he can't just send prophets to the city of Babylon. He had to go to other places as well. But many nations will join themselves to the Lord on that day. And they too will be my people. So it is genuine. It is not just some kind of a fleeting thing. This was a genuine conversion. They came over and began to serve Jehovah. And I will live among you and you will know that the Lord of heaven's army sent me to you. And the land of Judah will be the Lord's special possession in the holy land. And he will once again choose Jerusalem to be his own city. Be silent before the Lord all humanity. For he is springing into action from his holy dwelling. Don't be speaking out against what God is doing. Don't be speaking out against God's people. God is moving. You don't want to get in the way. You are better off to get on the side. But if you're not, you better not get in the way. A whole lot of people are getting in the way of God. And sometimes uh, we get bothered that they're able to do this. But this, this was God's opinion back then. This is still God's opinion now. You get in my way. I'll give you a little bit of time to get out of the way. I'll send you some people that will speak to you, but you're not listening. Here we go. Now, those heathen nations that heard this call of God, if they heard and they obeyed, how much more should those of Israel? How much more does God expect 
Can you imagine God in the judgment day looking down and saying, all right, you folks who refused my call and stayed over there in Babylon and didn't listen, look at these nations over here. Look at the people who came from uh, Greece. Look at the people who came from uh, Rome. Look at the people who came from, and name it all the different countries that are around them. They came, and you guys didn't. And what he'll do with that, I can't exactly tell you. But I think about this, maybe you too have become discouraged because of all that is against you. And there seems very little, very little seems to be for you. You see a whole lot of forces that are coming against you. You see a lot of things that come against you to discourage you. You see a lot of things that come against you uh, in, the, in, in the people of this world and the opposition they have to the things of God and to the Word of God. And you want to have certain kind of beliefs and they seem to be coming against those beliefs. You want to stand for the truth. They seem to stand for a lie. And we can get very discouraged at all that's going on. I see opposition. I see the needs that I have. I see the lack that I have. I see the tensions that are building up on the inside of me. I see disagreements. I even have my own feelings of uselessness. But God is countering all these things with forces that we do not see. And His Word, if we believe and act on it. If I just take His Word and I believe it and I act on it, we will change some things. But there's other forces that I don't see. And they're at work. And just as the prophet is talking about it here, we have to understand it's still going on now. This is still what God does. This book, Zechariah, is put in the Bible because God wanted us to be able to read the things that are happening and to understand them for our day. If this book had no application for us, then God had no reason to put it in. But he put it in. Because he wants us to see what was going on because the opinions that God has here the same ones he has now. And he will fight for us. He will help us. So in the same way, God is measuring for your expansion. In the same way that he is out there wearing down the forces that are coming against you and trying to shrink you and trying to uh, make you insignificant, in the same way, God is measuring for your expansion. We see ourselves as inadequate for the space that we occupy. But God sees a way for us to exceed our space. God's vision is for us to be bigger than we are now. Doesn't, don't have to mean richer. Some people always interpret that. Well, that means I'll be richer. And No, it just means you'll be bigger. God wants to expand you. He wants you to be doing more for the kingdom or, or uh, being expanded. Somehow, God wants you to expand. And he's planning for it. He's measuring, taking some measurements for, for the expansion. <clears throat> but we keep seeing ourselves as inadequate. Boy, I know you, you can sure hear the devil when he talks, to, talks talking to you about how inadequate we are. Oh, yeah, yeah. You can just kind of almost amen at, at the words that he speaks to us. But that's not words from God. God's not speaking words that we're inadequate. We have to understand God sees us different. We are like Israel that are looking around at this big city and we're just this few people and everything's broken down and nothing's really the way that it should be. But God looks at us and says, no, no, no. I'm, I can see not only this, but something bigger. Something bigger is coming. And I'm measuring for it. In fact, we're going to go beyond the walls that you see here. 
We're going to get you to a place where you need to be able to depend on walls you cannot see. He wants to take us to a place where we can't rely on walls, natural walls. We can't rely on things that I can feel, that I can understand, that I can control. He's going to protect us. He's going to maintain us. But where supernatural walls of fire, they will be there. And I will be expanding into those. Think about supernatural walls of fire is when you need to grow, they just move right out. It's not like you've got to tear down walls and build new ones. Jerusalem, when they actually wanted to make it bigger, they left the walls intact and they just built a whole new wall. If you look at the city, you'll see a whole new wall that comes out of here so they could expand the city. Because it was easier to just add on a wall than it was to tear down a wall and, and, and build a new one. But when you have a wall of fire, you just expand it. God just expands that. Well, this place will take some faith to occupy. The enemy is always trying to get us to see limitations. He's trying to get you to see insufficiency. He's trying to get you to see vulnerabilities. Well, I'm vulnerable. If, if I step out in that area, that's going to make me vulnerable over here. If I step out into that area, if I begin to expand over here, all the insufficiencies that I see in, my, in myself, they're going to be exposed. They're going to come out. It's going to be shown that I can't do these things. The limitations that I know that I have, they're all going to come out. People will see because I'm putting myself out there in, in this way. There'll be limitations, insufficiency. The, the fear of all these things can keep us from expanding and going out. And certainly that's going to be for the children of Israel here. But if we don't develop while well, in the security of the city's confines, how will we make it in the expansion? If I don't develop my faith in the security of the city's confines, how am I going to make it in the expansion? He's not telling them to expand now. He's telling them, look, the city <clears throat> is bigger than you need. But I want you to find the security that you need. I want you to find the faith that you need. I want you to know that you can rely on me while you're within the walls. Because the day is coming, I'm going to take you outside of the walls. And you're going to be such a big city and such a great city. And there's going to be so many people here and so much livestock that you cannot depend on the walls of this city. Because you're going to be doing much greater things. And I will be your protection. God measures to show us what will be or should have been. Those are the two purposes I can find that God measures. God measures to show us what will be. This is what's coming. This is, <clears throat> this is the expansion. Or he's measuring what should have been. Well, you only came up to this spot. You were supposed to get over to here. And so he's measuring. See that? You came up short. One of you up here. You didn't make it up here. Came up short. This is what should have been. In Israel, many times, they should have been this way. They were found when it was measured if we're found wanting but I saw that we measure for a different reason we measure to discover or affirm what we should know by faith we measure to discover or affirm what we should know by faith well God you say that you want to do this with me let me take some measurements <clears throat> Let me measure this thing out. Let me see if if I have it in me to do this. And now I come up short on that. I know you say you want me to do that, but I come up short. 
I don't think that'll, that'll work. Well, God, you said that you would do this, but as I measure it out, it doesn't seem like it's there. And so what happens is we go to the doctors and we want the good report. Why? Because I want to measure. All right, this is what God said. Doctor, give me the measurement. And so we let the doctor take the measurements. He takes the measurements. See that, God? We came up short. I'm measuring. And checking God out on these things. We let the doctors do some measuring for us. Because I'm trying to discover or affirm what I should know by faith. We're in the measuring mode. If we stay in this mode, folks, we'll never get outside the city. We'll never get outside the walls. We'll never be able to expand into the area of where we have walls of fire because I haven't learned to trust God. If God says, I want you to do this, well, let me measure that out. Ah, I, don't, I don't see how that's working. I don't see that. That's, that's not quite going to work in my life. You know, I, I come up short. I don't, I don't see that I have what's needed for this. I don't see that the doctor's report is exactly what I want it to be. I'm measuring here, God, and I, I just think you come up short. Doesn't quite seem to be the place that it is. We gotta be careful measuring God. God's in the position that He can measure us. But God does not want us to measure up short. Our actions, because we don't believe Him, because we don't trust Him, because we don't desire to obey Him, cause us to come up short. And God sends prophets, He sends teachers, He sends people along our path to instruct us and say, hey, this is where you ought to go. This is what you ought to do. And we say, no, 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 I don't want to do that. And then He sends more people. No, I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. And finally, God sends the measuring tape out. Now, you're short. I didn't want you to be. I did everything I could to get you to get longer. And you refused to listen. And so for Israel, judgment came down upon them. But here we see this one. He's sending some measuring people out. Why are you measuring that? God does not need to know how big Jerusalem is. But He's letting them know we're expanding and we're going beyond. Because this does not measure out to what you need. This is too small for you. You need something bigger. A lot of times we want to take the smallness of where we are and the little bit that God has us moving in. We want to make it bigger. I saw this. Uh, I don't know why this video came up for me to watch, but I was, I was intrigued by it. I will certainly say that. Uh, these people, they took a 250 square foot apartment. 200, not 2,000, 250 square foot apartment. And in this apartment, they put an office. They put a bedroom. They put a walk-in closet. They, they had all these things go 250 square feet. So I was interested in how they did this. And what they would do is they had the closet. The walk-in, they said it's a walk-in closet. We're not talking about a little door you open up and you got a little things. You, no, sir, it's a walk-in closet. What you do is you push a button and these two shelf units come apart. And on this side is hangers and on this side is hangers. Now you can walk right in and you have a walk-in closet. And then you can close it back up again. Then you go over here to this section and they have on the wall, they have the TV, the entertainment system. It's all mounted into the wall. And you push a button and the TV entertainment system, it comes moving on out into the room. And what happens on the other side is the office. 
and they got a little desk pulls out from the, the wall <laughs> and a chair that just was tucked right up underneath there and you've got your own office section with all the all the shelves and all the, the printers right there and the computers right there and all the stuff that you need. You can work from home, hit the button and it closes back up. That is pretty smart. We want to do something like that with our lives. We want to take the smallness that we have and to make it the most efficient and the most useful that we possibly can. And God says, stop looking at the smallness. We want to take and expand and I can expand with a wall of fire. But you've got to get out of what you can touch with your hands. You've got to get out of what you can think about, what you can conceive of, what you can see, what you can feel. You've got to get to the place where when I say it, you know that it's true. And you'll trust and you'll believe. When we measure, we measure to discover or affirm what we should know by faith. What is it that we're out there trying to discover? Are we trying to discover that God is true and we're taking our little measuring tape or we're measuring out the things that God has done? Are we measuring to affirm that the promises that God has given us are working for us today? And I'm measuring them out so that I can prove to people that it's so? What, does, what are the things that we should just know by faith? And how are we going to get ourselves to the place where we can expand beyond the walls of Jerusalem into the walls of fire that our God has in store for us? Abraham, for the longest time, couldn't get outside the walls he could see. He had to be able to see it, feel it, touch it. But he finally got out beyond those walls and when the Son of Promise came, he was even able to take him and put him on the altar of sacrifice because he was out beyond those walls and he was in the place of, God, if you said this, then you will bring it about. And he was out there able to do that. David had everybody in his life telling him how small he was, how insignificant he was. His brothers did it. His father did it. He would tell them the stories of the things that God would do with him out in the field and no one would believe him. But one day a prophet showed up and told him, you will be the king of Israel. And from that point on, he, he went on. But still people told him he was small. You're too small to fight Goliath. You're too small to go out into war. You're too small to have victories. And yet David kept proving them all wrong till they were beginning to sing songs about David and the mighty things that he would do. How many people do you have in your life that are telling you about how small you are? <clears throat> Medical people telling you your limitations. How things are going to be. Because this is how they've measured them. And you're in a place right now where you can expand. You can either stay within the realm of the walls which you can see or you can expand beyond them to the walls of fire that God has. 
There are many times you will come to a crossroad in your life. Don't think that it's just one time you come to a crossroad and if you fail it, you will be done. Abraham came to this crossroads many times. And many times he came up short. But finally, he didn't. Finally, he came along. Other people did the same thing. Some never got past this this point and never stepped out, but others did. Peter couldn't, while Jesus was alive here on earth, he didn't seem to be able to step out of his realm. And when he was in the courtyard and they pointed the finger, he didn't feel those walls of protection. He just saw the stone walls slipping away. But he eventually outgrew that and went beyond it. If you hit a crossroads in the past and you didn't come up the way that you think you should have, get yourself ready because another one's coming. And even if you fail that one, get yourself ready because another one's coming. God wants you to get past it. He's going to give you every opportunity to get past it because it's his desire. He waited 25 years for Abraham to get past it. And he would have waited longer, but Abraham got past it. We can get past it. We can get into this area of growth. But don't measure to discover or affirm. Allow the measurements that God has to settle on the inside of you. Father, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for the encouragement we get from this vision. That you have bigger things out there ahead for us. But the enemy is always trying to tell us that we are insufficient. We have limitations. That if we set ourselves out there, we will become too vulnerable. But you see where you're taking us. And you have the walls of protection that we need. And you will sustain us in whatever it is that you lead us into. And I thank you for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.